get no rest Don't know how I work all day When will I learn Memories get in the way I walk around I can't hear a sound Folks talking loud But I don't see at all I gotta get away Gotta get away I don't know where to go It's hopeless so I guess I'll leave it alone Well I spent all that day Fixing up to go somewhere Thought I was late And I found she wasn't there I guess I'll find Love, peace of mind Some other time But I still have today I gotta get away, gotta get away I don't know where to go It's hopeless so I guess I'll leave it alone Games people play Night or day They're just not matching What they should do took my time Cause I felt so all alone Not far away I heard a funny sound Took a look around And I could see her face Smile as she came Calling out my name So I know where to go We'll take it slow I guess I'll call it a day sound took a look around and I could see her face smile as she came calling out my name so I know where to go we'll take it slow I guess I'll call it a day No. 
This is podcast number 247, entitled Shoehorn, and you've just heard by the spinners from, I think, 1974 or 1975, Games People Play. Now, what um, the uh, cast is about is how uh, we are entirely uh, fixed on a central human need, which is the need for uh, connection and unity with another person. This is the core central emotional need of human beings, as I understand it, and as my life has taught it to me in my ministry. And um, in uh, seeking this inestimable, invaluable unity and experience, we often, however, miss what we're really looking for and think we're going to find it in something secondary. If you listen again to Games People Play by the Spinners, he's talking about the world, the way of the world, and his business and his life and his work and his wanting to get off. And all of a sudden he hears the voice of um, the voice of his love uh, calling his name as he begins to get home and he talks to her and he sees her and everything all the games people play in this wicked world vanish and he is uh, in paradise really as he connects with this loving woman who loves him and whom he loves and this is the core experience of human existence everything else pales beside it Paula White in one of her tweets said recently I'm really. Un- uh, we really need to be only interested in one thing. Well, what she meant by the one thing was a relationship with God, and she's right about that, in my opinion. But what happens, and David Zoll is uh, currently working on a book on this theme, is that we we shoehorn. Um, uh, our uh, need to connect with ultimacy, with an ultimate being, which the closest uh, 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 correlate and uh, substantial experience of which is found in another human being romantically, we try to shoehorn that need and that connection into a trillion other secondary um, vehicles or secondary compartments or secondary holders. And uh, this means that we spend a great deal of our life trying to shoehorn shoehorn, and that's the subject of the cast, trying to shoehorn something very big and very ultimate and very spiritual and very eternal, uh, even um, even uh, into a relationship with another person, which will inevitably disappoint, although it's closer by light years than most things. But we shoehorn this tremendous need into a trillion other possibilities. And what partly motivated this cast was a, um, a, a blog I was following concerning um, a movie called Target Earth. Now, Target Earth is a really not very good, cheap science fiction movie from 1954 with Richard Denning and an actress you've never seen, but they're great lobby guards. And it's a, it's a, actually a brilliant um, uh, idea that's rather poorly executed, <laughs> to say the least. And the story on which it's based is actually very haunting. Uh, it takes place in Chicago, which has been sort of decimated by alien robots. And it's really a, a, a rather brilliant and haunting idea. But the movie, well, but what's interesting is whoever writes this blog um, says this is a blog devoted entirely to Target Earth. And this person really has done his homework. I mean, it is unbelievably thorough. Every single conceivable aspect of Target Earth and every actor and extra and uh, crew member and possible permutation of uh, elements that went into Target Earth has been mined. And now that I think there's a Blu-ray coming out of Target Earth, well, that, of course, has started the whole thing again. And so you ask yourself, what would cause a person to, to really devote almost 
almost an entire amount of one's psychic energy into target earth. Well, I understand that very well. I don't throw stones at all. I do this to a million things. I've done it to James Gould Cousins, and I've done it to um, recently to to uh, the Green Mansions by W. H. Hudson. These are hopefully good, but not that good. Or to uh, currently, I'm very much into uh, Philadelphia Soul and the Spinners, whom I found really who, who, who I loved at the time. What really is happening here when you get focused on something, especially if it has real legs? If you're if you were into Target Earth in 1954 as a little boy, and are into Target Earth in 2018 as no longer a little boy, that, what that means is not so much, uh, it's not so much a reference to the quality, inherent substance of Target Earth, but to the fact that at some particular point, Target Earth made an incredible impression on you. The, the, the you whom Target Earth indicted, I, that's I-N-D-I-T-E-D, on whose soul and spirit and personality and life history, the movie Target Earth, wrote something that is uh, ineradicable and uh, irreducible, and that's a part of you that is really eternal. It, he wrote on your soul, that movie with Richard Denning. Well, um, this is, uh, I have these things. I mean, Pit and the Pendulum. I could do a blog on the movie from 1958 or 59, Pit and the Pendulum, of Vincent Price, because I saw it at such an impressionable age, or you have a relationship at an incredibly impressionable age, and it has a kind of eternal quality. That's what soul ties are about. But people do this all the time. They they, they put their soul tie of something touched you of a of a, of a, of a, of a it touched you at such a deep level that it made a it made an enduring, detailed, powerful, emotional, and psychic impression on you. And so that's sort of uh, you go back to that phones that fountain to renew something really important about yourself. Um, and you're always looking for it. You're you're looking you're you're looking to worship something that will take you back. Most guys ultimately are interested in things that they were interested when they were little in just a slightly more, quote, adult, end of quote, form. And it's really a kind of regression to childhood in so many cases. But when it comes to romance, we're constantly regressing and thinking about things. Every song you've ever heard by almost every group that's ever been is talking about the power of, of, of a lost relationship or the ecstatic uh, power of a present relationship. And uh, this is true of men and women and it, you, you ignore it at your peril, as I've been saying. Um, this came home very clearly to us once. Uh, I was preaching at St. Thomas Episcopal Church on a Sunday when Andy Mead was the rector. This is on 53rd Street, I want to say, and, um, and 5th Avenue, and Mary and I were going. I think I was going quite a bit earlier, like at 9 o'clock or something, to, with my robes to go and to report to the robing room, or sacristy, as they called it, the vesting room, and prepare to preach this sermon. And um, there were quite a few people coming in, and in the those days, the ushers at St. Thomas were still wearing really um, tails. It was very impressive and very worthwhile and useful and good and Burton Cummingsy. And I went in and I was getting ready. But as I sort of crossed over from where I'd gotten off the subway or whatever, the other east, east of the church, I noticed that there was a vast line to get into the Museum of Modern Art. It might have been a Matisse exhibit or it might have been one of the every five-year, you know, life-changing, world-altering Picasso exhibits or a Cezanne exhibit. And there was a line for, I mean, it was like going to a journey concert in the 80s. It was unbelievable. And although we were getting a good crowd at St. Thomas Episcopal Church, it was 20 years ago, but it was a good crowd and the rector was popular. Nothing compares to you, to quote you-know-who. Um, the uh, the line was um, 
vast. And it, it, I thought to myself, uh, as I saw the attentiveness and the seriousness of the crowd, they were just as serious as if they were going into St. Thomas Church, probably more so. There was a kind of anticipation of something important. It, it had a feeling of the holy, to quote, you know, Rudolf Otto. There was something holy about it. And I said to myself, and I certainly said to Mary, you know, these people are worshiping art in the same way that, that others would be consciously worshiping God at St. Thomas Episcopal Church. There's a comparable thing going on because they've come a long way to stand in a line a long time to to look at this art, and it has a feeling of an aspiration for something transcendent. Well, it's an old point, but, um, you know, I love uh, Cezanne, but it's his li- still lives of fruit, uh, to me, are some of the greatest serene works of art in the world. I've never stopped loving them, but they're not divine. They carry something very important about vision and sight and light, but they're ultimately secondary. Uh, They're not not target earth, for crying out loud. That's God. I'm just kidding. But um, you you are constantly looking for something that is actually the thing that you're looking for. And what are you looking for? You're looking for this uh, a a, a divine connection. Uh, Usually it's to to um, reconnect something that was... uh, um, touched or excited or or put into motion when you were little something came alive in you something uh, when i first saw uh, a premature burial by roger corman and specifically uh, with my dad uh, the pit and the pendulum something was touched something came alive when i first kissed a girl i remember the it was gosh it was like ninth grade and I remember her very well and lovely family I think we were in Sunday school together but I uh, she was not more than the sixth grade and I can't have been I think I was in the sixth grade and I I sort of found a way with I kissed this girl and she was seemed okay about it and and but mainly I just took I just sort of kissed her it was sort of on the on the on the cheek but it, it was heartfelt and boy I mean I think back can, can you identify with that I mean when you got kissed or you kissed someone for the first time it Something came alive in the little six-year-old, sixth grader that was touched by this lovely, lovely girl. I remember wanting to go play with her on a, on a weekday afternoon. I'd, I'd go over to her house where the, her mother was there. It was all wonderfully chaperoned, and I didn't know anything about anything. Anyway, I just was mad about this this young girl who we were the same age exactly, and I, I would bring over the Beatles' second album, and I think it had a song called Thank You, Girl. All I want to do is thank you, girl. Thank you, girl. Well, I mean, I would play that to her, and I, I was. She was the one whom I was thanking. It had a kind of uh, venite benedicite, uh, you know. Let us bless the Lord. Thank now, thank we all our God. It was uh, in my little sixth grade soul was thanking this girl for being so wondrous and so beautiful to me and so completely engrossing to me. And what am I saying? That this is what we're all looking for. It created a vast impression. I mean, she's my age now, and I I haven't seen her since she was in the seventh grade. I, I took her to a dance at my prep school, and uh, I think I was the only guy in the class in seventh grade who actually had a real date, and, and she was sort of little. I mean, she was a kid, and I think everybody used it as an example to be snide and mean and horrible, but she was wonderful. Anyway, you know my point. My point is there's something deeply religious about that, but what we're all trying to do is we're trying to shoehorn something into... Um, 
um, something that is, we're trying to shoehorn something mighty and awesome and large and big and eternal and enduring and soulful, usually into something that is a, a container that can only hold a little bit of it. I mean, I've got the pair of shoes that I hate to wear because I have to constantly really use a shoehorn to get into these L.L. Bean, whatever, Blucher moccasins or something, and I hate it. I just hate to have to use the darn shoehorn every time I want to go outside. Well, I mean, we're shoehorning something vast and noble and exciting and ultimately of divine, of divine character into into these unworthy uh, and, and crooked, you know, it's like fitting a piece into a crossword puzzle that doesn't fit. And uh, that's what really we're doing. And that's why um, these uh, songs uh, the, that I get from the spinners, at least they're aware that, that all the job matters and all the career things and all the other elements of this world, as in the song we listened to at the beginning, mean absolutely nothing in comparison with the the loving greeting he receives from his girl and the wonderful way they talk after work. And my gosh, it's so marvelous. And so we're going to uh, close on that note with uh, a a comparable song, or at least a um, parallel, relevant, uh, related song, also by the Spinners, who were so fantastic. Everything about the Spinners, the production, the the songs themselves, the the singer Wynn was his name, wasn't it? W-Y-N-N, the last name, the lead. These songs are amazing, and this song is a mighty love, in which he describes the aspiration of everyone here to find a mighty love. And of course, as far as I'm concerned, it's the love that Paula White is talking about. It's the one love to which we are all really ultimately being referred through these secondary lives. Loves, including Target Earth. Thank you so very much. Love you. What you mean?